just like in the human world, language and culture are inextricably linked in many ways, and one cannot exist in a vacuum without the other. I think it's also true that one language can exist in a vacuum without other languages, and so that led me to creating sort of a wider ecosystem of language and culture that um, kind of existed within a wider network and became sort of a constellation of features within a wider world. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Margaret Ranstall Green, a linguist, and Eric Barker, a musician, discuss their collaboration, creating music and lyrics in original constructed languages. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. Dr. Margaret Ransdell Green and Eric Barker join us for today's podcast. Margaret is a linguist who has been creating constructed languages or conlangs since the late 1990s. Eric, her husband, is a musician and composer. The two have collaborated on writing music and lyrics in the languages and styles of these fictional peoples. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Margaret and Eric. Hi, thank you. Hey, thanks. like to start out by asking our guests a little bit about their backgrounds and their own paths with languages. What does that look like for the two of you? Margaret, maybe you can get us started? Yeah, so I've been creating constructed languages since around 1998, 1999, when I was really young. And it was actually constructed languages that got me interested in linguistics before <laughs> um, I ever knew what linguistics was yeah. as a kid. And so between a combination of uh, constructed language uh, creation and learning other languages, I uh, slowly got interested in linguistics. And that was what I went on to major in in college uh, mm -hmm. when I went to the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And then when I was in Hawaii, I did a master's and PhD in linguistics too. So it really shaped um, the sort of trajectory of my career and um, many of my interests were mm. kind of kind of inspired indirectly by that. Yeah, that's great. Eric, what about you? Well, um, my background is primarily in music, um, although I was I was uh, raised by anthropologists. My dad has a degree in, in, mm. in anthropology, and uh, basically my, my aunt, uh, who raised me, uh, who, who helped raise me, is a, was the dean of the university here, but the an anthropology yeah. professor at uh, University of Alaska Fairbanks. And uh, so I, um, and I actually, I was born and raised in Bethel, Alaska, out on the Bering Sea coast, um, in a primarily uh, Yupik Inuit community. Mm. Um, uh, so I picked up a lot of language, uh, uh, a lot of languages very early on. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and I took some uh, sociolinguistic cla uh, linguistic classes in in, uh, in, in school. Um, I went to Oberlin Music Conservatory for mm -hmm. composition, uh, 
but but I also uh, dabbled in a lot of, uh, of a lot of other classes along the way, including linguistics. So uh, nice. by the time I, I met Margaret, I was fairly new to it, but I had a little bit of an understanding. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think he's absorbed a lot through osmosis over the last 15 years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. I'm always pleasantly surprised when he says something that's completely spot on. <laughs> In terms of linguistics, he'll like say something, and I'm like, oh my god, that's right. Good. I'm such a nerd. I love I love any any science or, or field that I come in contact with. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, you know, I've, I've I've really gotten interested in a lot of uh, uh, linguistic uh, aspects uh, over the years that nice. I didn't know about before. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, Margaret, you said that um, constructed languages were sort of your gateway to linguistics and your study of languages. Uh, can you expand a little bit on how you discovered conlangs, how you got into them, and um, how does one go about constructing a language? Well, that's a good question. I think People in the Conlang community are all drawn to it in different ways at different times in their life. And it's something that can be quite varied in terms of how people get started. But for me, it was something I started doing as a kid without knowing what I was doing, like mm -hmm. without knowing that it was something mm -hmm. that other people did. It was just part of how I played and kind of uh, just spent time by myself. Um, I started writing stories, and um, the people in those stories spoke other languages. And mm -hmm. so first it was very simple. It was kind of... Uh, like special items of vocabulary that I would use as a kid when playing. And then it kind of just all coalesced into a language that when I was young, I called rhymish because it was originally um, invented to create rhymes mm. and other kinds of like little poems. And so that language eventually turned into the first full conlang that I constructed, which was called Gotevian later. And um, it, the, the question about how to go about creating a language is both a technical and, I think, a creative one. And I think people do it in different ways. There are different kinds of constructed languages. So mm -hmm. people will try to do um, what they call art langs, which is basically languages invented for artistic or aesthetic purposes. Um, but some of them are sort of philosophical languages in that they try to incorporate as many uh, of some type of concept as possible. So they try to be extremely minimalist or try to have uh, some kind of underlying philosophical concept to them. But that's not the only kind of conlang. There's a whole lot of other types as well. Um, uh, I think that most of the languages I make or probably be considered naturalistic so that they try to mimic natural human language as much as possible while still being different and um, sort of fantastical in a way. They're still linguistically feasible. Um, also, you might hear the term fictional languages, which usually applies to languages that are seen in like works of larger fiction, like in wider sort of world-building contexts. Um, but really, there's a lot of ways of creating constructed languages. And in fact, I would say that most people who do constructed languages are not linguists. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, although quite a few of them are, mm -hmm. I think. So mm -hmm. there's really a lot of different ways to start with it. But I would say that like a basic knowledge of linguistics obviously helps. Um, you don't have to know anything too um, super advanced. It's not required. And you certainly don't have to have any formal training in linguistics in order to start to do yeah. it. Yeah. So you've also created some cultures, right, around the languages that you've developed. And I was wondering, like, does the culture 
come before the language or is it the other way around? It's like the chicken well, and egg. What comes first? Or or does it just evolve? They really it's, evolve in tandem, I would say. Okay, yeah. Uh, because just like in the human world, um, language and culture are inextricably linked in many ways. And one cannot exist in a vacuum without the other. And I think it's also true that one language can exist in a vacuum without other languages. And so that led me to creating sort of a wider ecosystem of language and culture that um, kind of existed within a wider network and became sort of a constellation of features within a wider world. Um, because I think that was something, that's one of the things about linguistics and how language exists as a social function as well as a cognitive one that was so compelling to me is that it really does exist in this wide ecosystem mm -hmm. and this 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 network, this entire system of things that have to be uh, defined by their context in part. And so sure. that was one of the things that was most like interesting for me to do. So that's just sort of how everything ended up going is that I had to do more and more. I couldn't mm. just have like one monoculture, one monolithic language because sure. that's not really how it works in, in the world. So uh, yeah, I, one thing just led to another. Yeah. How many conlangs have you developed so far? So there's, it's kind of a difficult question because I've developed a lot for my own personal use, uh -huh. for my own, you know, personal um, world building purposes. But then also I've developed a lot for clients that I've worked with in the past. Uh -huh. So like usually creators of some sort, like people who are authors or uh -huh. novelists or uh -huh. even like comic book artists or people who are um, looking to have something added to whatever medium they're working with. Yeah. Um, to sort of add a level of depth to um, like immersion of their of whatever it is they're creating, and so I've created about six or seven full languages for myself for my own uses. But then I've done about nine or ten, depending wow. on how you count them, for other people. Hmm. Um, some of these are less developed than others. Some of them are more developed. Sure. Um, some of them are kind of like very simple. Some of them are really in depth. Uh, mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I guess, I guess the answer is like about 16 to 17 total. Wow. I should mention for, uh, uh, for, uh, listeners, like further information, if they have more information on broad, uh, broader, uh, constructed language, uh, societies, there is a guild out, there's a professional guild out there called the Language Creation Society, LCS. Uh, uh, Margaret is the, now the vice president of, wow. um, that finds professional conlangers for authors and, and. For, for film producers and mm -hmm. and, and and such, so um, uh, it, they have a website out there. You might be be able to give that later. Yeah, that website is just conlang c o n l a n g dot org. Great. a link to that in our show notes. Yeah, yeah. I, I figured that might not be just a, bit a interest. guild, but just like a society or association mm -hmm. that yeah, people yeah. are interested in. Yeah, but it does function that way, sort of as yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> Do the two of you have your own personal conlang? We don't have any that he has worked on, like, <laughs> extensively. extensively <laughs> but he was be definitely been involved in some of the right. creation of words that I've done in the past. Like, yeah. I used to, um, in order to come up with the vocabulary, I would uh, <laughs> run them by him and see what his sort of intuitions were about the yeah. way that words sounded and what the meanings he could attach to them were. Yeah. Actually, we had some fun back and forth yeah. maybe like 10 years ago or so uh, for a long time. I used to live out in the woods in a 
uh, 16 by 16 foot dry cabin, no running water. Uh, wow. Just it, it was a hole in the wall, but it sounded great. That, it was basically I lived in my studio. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it was nice because nobody cared how much noise you made because nobody ah. could hear it. I had loud heavy metal bands practice there. You could do anything at yeah. any time. <laughs> no one would ever know. But um, and when kind of when we first started seeing each other, uh, uh, we would play little games going back and forth, and uh, she would bounce like phrases off of me. And then I would come up with words in Relin or Gotevian or uh, I forget some of the others that you were working on at, at that time, where I would throw a phrase at her. And um, and we would also think about like uh, particles and how uh, like a word might might be, and I'm, I'm blanking on the technical side of it, but uh, uh, created from a concept of a few different concepts yeah. that would be a unique yeah, we would think about, like, what morphemes would go into a word and mm. how compounds could be created to come up with a larger concept. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> nice. Well, so I think that might be a great seg to Eric to talk a little bit mm-hmm. more about you and your contributions here, because um, I know you keep <laughs> okay. busy as a, as a keyboard player and multi-instrumentalist yeah. and composer. <laughs> um, but what got you started collaborating on music with Margaret? Um, and maybe you can tell us about the challenges and opportunities in writing and arranging in the style of a you know a community that doesn't really exist. Right. Um, what what's well, that look like? Absolutely, Sam. Uh, so yeah, uh, some background. Margaret is a musician as well. Uh, in fact, we met uh, doing community uh, musical theater. Uh, she's yeah. uh, a trained opera singer, and. Uh, uh, so I had firsthand experience with, with her voice and, and musical skills. And um, when we first started getting to know each other, um, uh, I started writing some music for her to sing. And, we, and she wrote some lyrics and we started collaborating on, on just on English songs, you know. Um, and we even uh, 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 created an album worth of, of material, which we're still... Uh, we're still trying to release. We're actually just now put a, a, a larger band together to nice. to to refine a lot of this uh, of this stuff. Um, but uh, uh, so then we we you know I don't even know know when it began, but uh, she had written a song in real uh, Reelan, and I just sat down at the piano and started accompanying it, um, and then. Uh, we played around with various things later. Uh, so I, over the years, um, you know, we got busy. We moved to Hawaii. She did her her uh, uh, master's and the doctorate uh, degrees, and I was working working and playing in bands and stuff like that. And then uh, 2019 hit. We had a, a kind of a crazy summer of travel where uh, she was doing her studies in Papua New Guinea on a, a a Papuan language there, um, and she had already been to the villages uh, a couple of years previously, and um, uh, for the next time she was going alone, not with the team. So she wanted to have me along for support, and so we were in Port Moresby, uh, uh, PNG, um, and which is a fairly dangerous city in the world, but we were in a, a, a safe compound, um, and she was spending a lot of her time um, working one-on-one with a Papuan speaker uh, from from the village area that she was working on. And um, but we 
we just had nothing to do. I mean, we couldn't really leave mm-hmm. the compound in the house. And we had a conference coming up in Cambridge, England uh, uh, later that summer in which we had told people we were going to be performing a couple of uh, uh, Conlang songs that we hadn't written yet. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so um, my favorite but, way to motivate myself to finish a project Get yourself the gig, then learn the music, or then yeah. create the music. But it ended up working out really well because we were basically trapped for two weeks in our room. <laughs> And then yeah. the government collapsed, but that was a separate well, Yeah, that's problem. a separate issue. Oh, so, there was a coup. so there was wow. a, there was a whole like vote of no confidence, but more violent um, <laughs> wow. that uh, happened. So we were definitely not going anywhere. We were just in our room uh, with very little to do, really, except for yeah. like when I was working with my consultant, and then the rest of the time we were like, well. We gotta do something, and it's amazing how having literally nothing else to do can inspire you to do more interesting things than you would have done. Yeah. <laughs> I did a curious thing because we were traveling long distance and I can't really bring these around. Um, I own a couple rolly seaboards. Uh, and so, which I, I, you, Sam, you may be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, I am, but for our listeners, please. They, they are basically a very squishy, rubberized, if you can think about a fretless piano. Uh, huh. um, and uh, it's like a silicone uh, silicone surface with these wavy shaped keys and you can kind of slide around from one note to another sort of the way you would on a on a violin or a fretless mm-hmm. bass um and uh uh but they're they're very they're fairly compact this is a 49 key board so it's kind of long but they're extremely thin they're like a a board of lund- of lumber they're actually quite heavy too but um, they're easy carry on. They, you know, just throw them in the baggage area um, or whatever the space is. And uh, so I had that in a mini one, a small two octave board that I just threw in my backpack. So it was easy to travel light with a laptop and sounds. And um, I was like, I'm going to get away from from a, my uh, meat and potatoes piano stuff because we're going to be creating. Uh, uh, fictional instruments, fictional from fictional cult- cultures, and I sat down and started like modeling various instruments, um, and uh, we kind of wrote our set around using the seaboard so that we could travel to England easily, easily, mm. and uh, uh, and also so it wouldn't sound exactly like you know typical instruments. Um, it was a nice fresh start, you know, to be able to kind of create. Create kind of new sounds, um, but we didn't want them to be too particularly electronic either, because yeah. these are these are uh, in some cases pre-industrial societies for the most part. Yeah. Sure. So, um, but you know, we had two weeks of you know she had an hour and a half to two hours of intensive stuff every morning, and then we were like, here we go. So, um, and it was kind of a whirlwind of inspiration. Um, I have some. Uh, 3D graphics modeling background. So mm. I had a, I opened up uh, Cinema 4D, which is a 3D modeling program, and started actually visualizing what 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 these instruments would look like. Oh, wow! Came out, came out with some models, huh. and which helped inspire also their sounds, um, and and then musical system started developing some musical systems uh, for for these cultures as well. Yeah, that's so what we have interesting like different scales mm-hmm. 
that are particular to the cultures and yeah. different notation systems that he invented uh, for these purposes. So that That's ended so up cool. really yeah. cool. Yeah. That's amazing. So I think for anybody who's interested in developing their own conlang, what they need to do is trap themselves in a maybe 16 by 16 uh, <laughs> yeah. room for two weeks and just have at it, right? Let the creative juices flow. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's wild. Margaret, can you share some words or phrases of one of your conlangs? In uh, one of the major languages that I've worked on over the years since about 2005 or so is called Rilin. And this is a language that uh, I have pretty much not completed, but I would say it's the closest to being mm -hmm. a complete workable language. It's definitely usable for like all purposes. And it has about 3,500 words in it. Wow. Um, so it's probably one of the larger lexicon, like, mm -hmm. vocabulary lists that I actually have. Um, so a phrase could be, like, uh, I think that the sun has risen today, mm -hmm. uh, for example. Or, like, we don't know how many people it eats every year. Goodness, that's, yeah. I mean, we certainly don't. <laughs> A fun thing I learned about linguists is, from, from Margaret, is once when they get together, they, they create the silliest phrases. Like, they just have a lot of funny in-jokes all the time. It's just yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, the one thing about linguistics and languages in general is that the example sentences sometimes in linguistics are really funny and random because mm -hmm. we're just trying to illustrate like a principle and it doesn't really matter what the content sure. words are. Yeah. And so sometimes they're really silly. Yeah. So I followed in that tradition. I like that. I like that. Would you consider yourself fluent in all of the conlangs that you have been no. working on? I wouldn't say I'm fluent in them all. I might say that I'm proficient or possible in Relin. Okay. Uh, but I think most people who create conlangs, I've really only met one person who's totally fluent in their language. Mm. And, I, yeah. I, I will, uh, one caveat is I, I would say that Mar Margaret's definition of fluent is pretty hardcore, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, she is a linguist. I always err on the side of caution. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Of course. Like, Understood. Yeah. So would you have any future plans right now that you'd like to tell us about? What are you, what are you working on? Well, Margaret continues to do uh, actively do professional work at Conlanging. Uh, Conlanging. We're hoping uh, at some point to land some, uh, you know, large Hollywood gig at some point. Her, <laughs> yeah. her, her, her mentor and advisor actually uh, uh, worked uh, with Zack Snyder on Superman. Uh, Man of Steel, uh, yeah. uh, as well as, is it? Uh, oh, she did a language for Power Rangers. Power Rangers. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. That's so funny. I, I feel the last, uh, uh, what, what's the name for someone who creates conlangs? A conlanger. Uh, conlanger. Yeah. yeah. A conlanger. Uh, yeah. So the, the last two folks we spoke with about this were Cornell uh, PhD students who worked on a language for one of the Marvel movies. Um, oh, so okay. it's funny that that's like, yeah. it's an interesting market, like these big superhero movies with alien races and that sort of thing. Yeah. That makes sense, but it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's becoming more and more common. It, uh, 
it's not super common, but I think more people are electing to add things like that to their movies and and books and things. It's pretty big right now, you know, uh, coming after the success of, you know, or, or earlier of uh, of the Lord of the Rings movies and the right. expansion sure. on, on uh, Elvish, but also Game of Thrones, of course. Mm-hmm. And, and now, you know, Star Trek really kind of coming back in. Uh, in um, and these are all... Uh, these are all fictional um, uh, worlds that have, have extensive conlangs, um, uh, be it Elvish, Klingon, or Dothraki, you know. So, uh, and and I think a lot of uh, film writers are and, and authors in general are realizing that a con that uh, that conlangs can really really um, uh, expand the world building for for a setting. And uh, that people are really are, are really atta- attached to that. Even in just the normal languages, it it it, it, it occurred to me the other day. Of course, uh, every uh, um, everything, everywhere, all at once just won the Oscar uh, uh, for best picture. We and mm-hmm. we just actually saw that for the first time last week. And I noticed just the fluidity of the code switching between mm-hmm. uh, 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 Cantonese and Mandarin. I think there was some bo- both in there. In English, and it just like, and I don't know either of these languages, and it reverted to subtitles. But it just, it really, really made the the scenes come alive and feel so that much more natural. And uh, I think a conlang in a in a fantasy setting will provides exactly the same thing. Um, And uh, so, I think it's it's really really taking form here. Yeah, I think uh, people are learning that. that there is so much of identity and context and time and place and and humanity really wrapped up in people speaking their own languages um, and not just only having, you know, a one world language for the entire Mm -hmm. setting of whatever you're creating. I think it adds a lot no matter what you're working with, um, and that's a really good example. Yeah. So I apologize. Back to the original question of what we're <laughs> yeah. doing. We kind of got off topic right. there. ADD. Oh, we love that. All right. <laughs> She's working on her on 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 that stuff on the side. But we also uh, put uh, put a larger band together. Uh, we're calling ourselves Analemma, and we've got uh, we've been gigging around around town, and we actually have a statewide uh, 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 festival we're we're performing at in a couple weeks, and writing. Uh, um, amongst other things, amongst pop music and rock songs and weird progressive rock escapades, as I do, uh, some constructed language uh, music uh, that she and I sing uh, for for the group. So yeah, so we're taking that and rearranging those songs written conlangs for a mm-hmm. for a larger band uh, context, uh, which is really interesting because mm-hmm. it can kind of shift genre sometimes yeah. because it's interesting from a genre that doesn't exist, so it can translate differently of into course, yeah. real world human genres, mm-hmm. and you can kind of bend that a little bit to whatever your purposes are, and so I think that's one of the fun things about writing conlang music in systems that are not from earth because you don't know what it might sort of come across as to an audience it might be like more of a like a funk groove or blues Mm -hmm. jazz sort of Mm -hmm. translation or it might be like it might be like a death metal like you don't know what (laughs) how it might come across yeah one one of the the most fun examples uh maybe i'll i'll leave you this is a song that we we do that i love uh called fata cop that it's one of the ones that we wrote in papua new guinea um 
but uh, immediately we just started playing at at open mics and and in various places, yeah. and we would, we would do we would do it at like a smoky bar in downtown Honolulu or something like that. With you know people have have all had about three or four drinks <laughs> up there, and and it's a sing along, and we would teach them the phrase, and they yeah. would jump into it. And so we, the first time we ever played it, uh, it was actually before the the constructed language conference. It was like the night before we were uh, we were going to leave on the plane. We had like an entire bar like jumping up and going, "Fought the copy, come it," you know, and, and, and like. <laughs> yeah, they all did really well. I was thinking like nobody's going to want to sing this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it did not exist at language, and they were totally down. I was amazed. The audio, like audience participation yeah. has been uh, has been awesome on that, and it's it's really fun to see what what every audience uh, mm-hmm. how they respond. But I, I bet, can't wait yeah. for Juno to get like the, the entirety of the Juno Folk Fest. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Getting a lot. Yeah. So we already heard a number of different websites that um, our listeners can consult, but are there other places where our listeners can find out more about the two of you and your various mm-hmm. projects? Um, so at the moment, we're kind of going through the social media of Analemma to kind of create mm-hmm. it again or recreate it. Um, but soon we should have some stuff on SoundCloud. If you want to look up mm-hmm. Analemma. We do have a website for her languages, which has all of the music on there. Yeah, so if you go to ianith.com, which is A-E-N-I-I-T-H.com, you can see the music um, section that's on there, and you can actually see a version of a poster that we did at the um, Language Creation Conference in 2019 Mm -hmm. in Cambridge. That's basically translated there on the website. So you can see uh, these 3D models that Eric did of the different instruments and the sort of concepts behind the different musical systems and stuff like that. Um, notation. Yeah, the, the notation systems and things like that. Fantastic. We will put all of that in the show notes. But okay. before we sign off, we'd like to ask each of you to share a word in a language you speak, love, or learning, want to learn, maybe created, that makes you giggle. What do you have for us? Okay, so I think I'm going to say the word sundoku in Japanese, which is the act of buying a lot of books and then never reading them all and letting them pile up. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, a familiar... One yes. of the most relatable things for yeah, me. Absolutely. <laughs> I like yeah. that. Growing up and in, in going to kindergarten and uh, going to Yupik language class, the one word that stick, stuck around, and it's not particularly funny, but it just stuck with me over the years, is minklun. Which is needle. I right? thought you would choose aklung. Oh gosh, I should have chosen <laughs> is what you say to like babies when they accidentally trip and fall, like oopsie. It's like, ah, okay. In Yupik, it's like a toddler oops <laughs> thing. <laughs> Thanks, dear, for saving me. That's a much better. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Aklung. I I heard I got aklung a lot when I was a kid. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for speaking of language with us today, Margaret and Eric. 
Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thanks so for having us. Next week, we hear from Richard Kiley about transformative learning theory, international community engaged learning, and what dissonance has to do with it. Until then, Auf Wiederhören. The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu. Or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners, and do stay tuned for our next episode.